Well, while the ushers are coming forward to take your offering, let me introduce myself. My name is Jeff Heishen. I'm the director of student life here at Community Church. And what that means is I work with the middle school and the high school students. It's an amazing and fun ministry. Uh, sometimes it can be a little bit crazy, but there's joy in that. Uh, and so I'm really excited to be here with you guys. I hope you had a phenomenal 4th of July uh, weekend. What I did part of this weekend was my brother and I went over to my parents' house uh, and to help them just get some stuff ready, we actually built uh, a stair railing. There's going to be a picture of it here because uh, I'm really proud of it. Uh, and so we went together and we, we built this. I'm telling you this for a couple of reasons. One, uh, if you, well, your eyes are probably closed during prayer, but I was gingerly coming up the steps. I'm much more sore than probably I should be after building this, so I wanted to explain that. And then the second reason is I'm just like, I'm really happy with how it turned out. I feel pretty manly about this. <laughs> Uh, there may be some of you who do this for a living, right, and you're looking at this, and you're like, I don't know if that's up to code. Like, he probably didn't use the DB247 angle bracket, and to answer your question, no, I did not use the angle bracket. I don't know if it's up to code, but here's what it does. It allows you to grab the railing and put weight on it when you go upstairs, so mission accomplished. I feel good about that. Uh, one other thing of note before I really get rolling here, uh, I haven't preached in a while. I have a beard now. I tell you this. Uh, because a few times ago when I preached, uh, I was talking about resolutions. And I'm not a resolution person, like I don't really do them for New Year's, but that year, I was thinking about resolving to grow my beard for a whole year. And I told my wife, and she was like, oh, funny, my resolution is for you not to have a beard. <laughs> and so I didn't then, uh, and not to be braggy, but I have one now, so scoreboard. Uh, <laughs> No, I actually, I mentioned to uh, Aaron Moore that I was going to talk about this, and I, I said that I was going to say those things. He was like, so what's the score now? Jeff won, Chrissy 100, and yeah, it's, it's something like that. Then I actually, when I talked to her, and by talked to her, I mean asked permission to share this story, she said that the reason she had been anti-me growing a beard was she didn't think I could grow one. So I think the moral of these stories are surround yourselves with people who love you, but who will be brutally honest with you, and it sets you up for success. Um, yeah. So I'm telling you about stairs, right? I'm telling you about my beard, and I know, again, some of you out there, you're like, that's not really a beard. This is what I got. Just, I like it. Uh, it is what it is. But while we're talking about manly stuff like this, it makes sense that we're talking about Jesus, right? And we're talking about Jesus as this man of action. Right, and so over the course of the summer, we've been taking time to walk through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and we're doing it through this lens of understanding that every single thing that Jesus did, everything that he did in his ministry was pointing him to fulfill his purpose. Right, like he was incredibly intentional and he was active in fulfilling the will of the Father that ultimately would lead to him hanging on a cross, dying a terrible death to bring us into right relationship with God. He was a man of action. And so over the last uh, seven weeks, we've heard a lot, of, a lot of talk about, you know, for the first week, Wally opened, and he talked about this idea of Jesus and Jesus' mission. Right? The second week, we talked about how Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, right? Like he came, and he's healing people, but even bigger than that, better than that, the authority to forgive sins. Uh, the third week, Wally talked about this idea that, you know, there, there was this legalistic mindset during the time 
of the Jews when Jesus was in ministry and how Jesus was not on board with that. That was not his mission. And he actually actively spoke out against that. Well, I talked after that about these two sides of fear, right? The fear that the disciples had during the storm when they felt like they were going to die and the way that that fear shifted to this righteous and true fear of God and the awe and the power that he had. Uh, after that, Alan talked about how Jesus even had authority over death, right? He, he raised this little girl from the dead. A couple weeks ago, Aaron was up here and he talked about how you have to step outside the boat sometimes, Right, like, we have to step outside our comfort zones to fulfill our mission. And then last week, Wally talked about kind of this battle of our heart. Right, like, how we want to align ourselves with Jesus' heart and his mission, but there's something inside of us that is constantly pushing back against that. And so today, I want to talk to you guys uh, from Mark chapter 8. And before I start... Um, because we're kind of in the middle of the series, I know that some of this you might have heard before, especially this summer, but I think it actually illustrates why we're talking about this man of action, why we're taking each week to go through a chapter of Mark. Because it, it just, it's shown me over the last seven weeks, and as I was studying and preparing for this message, just how pointed Jesus was towards his mission. Right? How every single action he took brought him closer to fulfilling the promise of God. Today we're going to spend time in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 uh, through 38. It's going to be up on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open it up. Let me read to you the text that we're in today. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. It says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We see two kind of really, really interesting interactions here where Jesus is with his disciples and he asks them this question, who do people say I am? Then he goes a step further and says, who do you say I am? And actually Peter chimes in. Uh, and it's always Peter, right? Like anytime there's action that needs to be taken or somebody's going to open their mouth and say something, whether it's real smart or real dumb, it's Peter. And then it moves right into this second interaction where Jesus begins to tell them, right? This is the moment in his ministry where Jesus begins to kind of turn his face towards Jerusalem and all the things that that means, right? Jerusalem means being beaten, being whipped, being mocked, being dragged through the streets, right, like carrying your cross, dying this horrible death, rising from the dead, and bringing people back into right relationship. 
he begins to, to set his face towards Jerusalem. And he actually says he tells his disciples plainly what's going to happen. And Peter does this thing where he takes Jesus aside and he's like, nope, that's not going to happen. That's not what you came here for. Like, we didn't come along this journey with you in ministry to see you die at the hands of the Romans. It says, and Jesus rebuked him. It says, he actually said, get behind me, Satan. So I imagine for Peter, it's this up and down, this kind of crazy roller coaster ride. And if I'm being really honest, if I had been around during that time, as like an introvert, I typically wait to speak. I would have enjoyed watching Peter getting taken down a peg, I think. I don't know if that's like a Christian thing of me to say, but I probably would have enjoyed it. I don't know. Anyway, so Jesus has this moment, right, where he's clearly stating what it is he came to do. And he tells the disciples, man, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to die because it's my Father's will to cover the sins of mankind to bring people into relationship with him. That's what I'm here to do. So I think as I've been reading this, that there are two main points that we can pull out of this text. The first one we find in that first section. In verse 27 through 30, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? It says, and then later he asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Church, I think the first thing that as believers, uh, maybe even as seekers, as people who are like, I don't know what I believe, the first thing we have to come to terms with is we have to acknowledge and proclaim who Jesus is. Right? We have to be able to, to say and speak and understand who is Jesus. I think it's telling that he asked the disciples first, who do people say that I am? Right? And when I think about my own experience today, culturally, kind of talking to friends and, he, and being a part of conversations with people who are saying, you know, who really is Jesus? I've heard a lot of different things. You know, honestly, I've heard some people who are like, I don't think Jesus actually existed. Right? Like, isn't he just a fairy tale, some made-up guy who said some kind of interesting stuff in the Bible? Like, just a fairy tale? And so the first thing I want to tell you is Jesus existed. And I know it sounds simple, but I think it's something that we have to be sure of. Like historically, right, you look outside of the Bible, there are historical documents and evidence supporting the fact that Jesus Christ lived. There are actually historical documents supporting the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified by the Romans. And then that Jesus' disciples were actually killed and martyred for proclaiming that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You cannot argue that Jesus didn't exist. I think the second thing that I hear in culture is kind of this idea that, okay, so Jesus existed, but he wasn't like the son of God. He didn't raise from the dead. He was just a guy, right, like a really great guy, a teacher, a prophet. He was a leader. I heard somebody once say that they thought he was a guy who said some smart things that were taken out of context and spawned this huge movement. But I'm telling you, that's not right either. Jesus said over and over that he was the son of God that he was the answer to the problem of sin, that he was bringing people into right relationship with God, that he was the Messiah, he was the Christ. So either he is what he says he is, or he's a liar, or he's nuts, 
And I, I don't know too many liars and crazy people who are great teachers and great leaders. C.S. Lewis actually says it like this, way better than I ever could. In his book, Mere Christianity, he writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So this question, right, of who is Jesus, I think is one that, that we have to be able to ask and answer. I think an easy way to do that is to just look quickly at this idea of who does Jesus say that he is, right? And so actually in Matthew 16, 16, we see Matthew's accounting of the same interaction that Jesus has with Peter, where he's asking, who do you say that I am? And it says in Matthew, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? And actually in Matthew, it expounds and Jesus says, yes, that is who I am. And on this truth, I'm going to build my church. It's interesting to note that when Peter says that, he's using the definite article of the, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts. This is who Jesus is, the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah, the promised savior, the one who is coming to right wrongs and bring people back into relationship with God. Right, another thing Jesus says about himself, we find in John chapter 14, verse 6, where it says, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, I believe as we are talking about this idea of understanding who Christ is, we have to be able to proclaim the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and he is the way to right relationship with the Father. I think as we move forward in this interaction, uh, Jesus kind of turns the corner on this, and he says, all right, who do you say that I am? And I think that's the second question that we have to ask ourselves, this idea of who is Jesus to you? All right, who is Jesus to me? Because I think it's really easy for me to say, uh, Jesus is, you know, he's the son of God. He's my savior. And it's this big kind of umbrella statement. But when I really get down to it, you know, what does that mean? Right, what does that mean? I was talking to uh, Mark Knudsen, who leads our uh, college and young adult ministry. And we were talking about times that we've talked to friends of ours who aren't believers about our faith. Right, and there have been some of those times where, where those friends have just come to us and they've said, all right, tell me about Jesus, right? Like, I know you go to church. I know you work at a church. What, what's the deal with Jesus, right? Like, what's the deal with God? Who, who is Jesus? 
And Mark and I were talking about how, you know, in that moment, if you ever have the opportunity to have this conversation, what that person is not asking you, it, they're not asking you for like a three-minute quick, dirty theology lecture, right? They're not like, explain the Trinity to me. They're like, talk to me about sanctification and justification. What they're asking you, why does Jesus matter to you? And why should he matter to me? So when I begin to put words around this idea, this question of who is Jesus to me, the term Savior begins to mean something different. Right? It's not just a word that I say. It's in the moment when I was at my very worst. Right? When I had taken, uh, I think, a lot of the potential that the world said about me, and I had kind of pushed it to the side, and I had done my own thing, and I had made some really terrible choices, and I had done a lot of stuff that I'm not proud of, Jesus saved me. Right? In that moment of brokenness, Jesus was speaking life and truth and healing and restoration into my life. When I was at my worst, Jesus spoke my best into me. And he brought me into right relationship with God. That's who Jesus is. That is the experience that I've had with this Savior, this Son of God. And when I begin to put it through that frame of reference, you think about the disciples like they've seen Jesus doing miracles and casting out demons and preaching and talking about God and this fulfillment of prophecy. When we begin to personalize it, We're able to share it. We're able to communicate it. I think the second part of this interaction that we see happens in the second portion of verses. Uh, it says, you know, in, in um, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And then we see this moment where Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. And Jesus actually rebukes him back. He says, get behind me, Satan. And it says, and then he sees his disciples uh, and the other people around, and he begins to preach to them about this idea of denying ourselves and picking up our cross and following him, right? Of keeping our minds on the things of God and not on earthly things. And so the second thing, the second truth application for us that I think is in this is that we have to get on board with the mission of Jesus Christ or get out of the way, right? That's what Jesus is telling people. Peter, get on board with the things that I am doing, right? You can't tell me what I came here to do. You can't tell me the purpose that the Father had for me. Get on board with my mission or get out of the way. And it sounds kind of harsh, but we see this moment where Jesus is interacting with Peter, and he's saying, like, you are proclaiming who I am, the Christ, the Messiah, but you're not willing to follow me on my mission. And there's this moment where he's kind of saying, this is unacceptable. Right, while I was reading this, it kind of reminds me the, the way that Jesus rebukes Peter and then sees his disciples in the crowd and brings them into the conversation. It kind of reminds me of like when you're a kid, right, and you're with your brother. I have a brother. Uh, you're with your brother and you're with some friends, uh, and you're, let's say like your brother does something that you know is against the rules, 
right? You're like, ooh, he's going to get it. You're like ready for your parents to come out, like grab him by the earlobe, drag him over, just give him that lecture, you know, and you, and you do this thing. I've actually seen my girls do it, where you sit and you watch, right? Where you're like, he's going to get it, and I'm going to watch. And then sometimes this moment happens, and I know what happened to me, where my parents would be lecturing my brother, and they'd see me watching. They'd be like, actually, you come over to your, your two, because this is so important. And now you're kind of like, I didn't do anything, but you're both getting this lecture because it's important. Right? And the thing that Jesus is saying to Peter is so important that he brings the disciples into it. And it says he actually brings the crowds into it to communicate this message, get on board with the mission or get out of the way because you're missing the point. We can't tell Jesus what he came to do. Right? We can't put him in a box and say, you know what? Like, I know you came to earth and you died on a cross and you rose for the dead. And here in this small portion of my life, it's going to have a meaning. Right? This is, for me, why you did that. This is, I'm going to take everything that you do, all, of your, you know, all the things that make you a man of action, your mission, everything that you pointed at, and I'm going to just shrink it down to this one little idea, and that's all it's going to mean to me. I know in my life I've done that. Right? I've put Jesus on the back shelf, and I've said, you know what, when I need you or when it makes sense, I'll pull you out. But that's it. We actually... Uh, there's this phenomena in, I think, culture that I call the Santa Jesus, where we don't, we don't trust Jesus with anything until we need something, right? And then we're like, all right, Santa Jesus, man, I really got to just get it together and score good on this test. Or we're like, you know, it says in the Bible where two of you on earth agree about anything, like, you know, there will my spirit be and, I, and, and it'll be done for you. So Santa Jesus, like me and Allison, we both really want Corvettes, and so Santa Jesus, can you just make that happen? That would be great. Uh, and then we're like, all right, pass on the rest of what you've got going on. All right, we put Jesus in this little box, and we say, this is what you came for, and this is all of my life that I'm going to give you. But that's not the mission of Jesus Christ, and that's not our mission. That's not the relationship that we were meant to have with him. That's not the way that we were supposed to do church. It says in Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 10, it says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Right? And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus' mission, the action that he's taking, has pointed him towards Jerusalem, towards death on a cross, with the purpose of saving the world. All right, with the purpose of bringing each and every one of us into right relationship with the Father. And I know sometimes... For myself, I get so caught up. It's so easy for me to understand this idea that even though I've, I've done some stuff, right, it's so easy for me to verbalize, Jesus came to save me. But somehow it's hard for me to look outside of myself and be like, Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save my neighbor. Jesus came to save this person or this group of people. 
And as we begin to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God, the Messiah, right, the Savior who died for our sins to bring us back into a right relationship with God, we have to understand that his mission is bigger than you or me. His mission is the world. Right? Part of why Peter pulled Jesus aside was because Peter wanted Jesus' mission to be the kingdom of God in that moment. Right? He didn't want Jesus to go and die on a cross. He wanted Jesus to pick up a sword and lead the people of Israel in revolt against the Romans and establish the kingdom of God in that moment. And Jesus' message to Peter is simple. You can't tell me why I'm here. You can't proclaim who I am and then dictate to me the terms on which I fulfill the Father's will. Get on board or get out of the way. And I think for each of us, there is this sobering realization that as we begin to proclaim Christ, as we begin to wrap our minds around the mission that he has, we have to understand that his mission becomes our mission. Glorifying God. Speaking about Jesus Christ, right? Telling people that there is a way to be reunified with the Father. Telling people that Jesus came and died on the cross for the world. That becomes our mission. I heard a speaker uh, a while ago, and he talked about it in this way, and it's stuck with me ever since. He said, rescued people, rescue people. Right? And saved people, save people. Church, the mission of Jesus Christ is the salvation of the world. It's bringing people into a right relationship with God. That's our mission. Our mission is to glorify God. To point people towards Jesus Christ. As we proclaim Jesus, as we think about who Jesus is to us, can't talk about him as our savior we can't talk about him as our lord if we don't look at the people around us and say he wants to be your savior and he wants to be your lord too i'm gonna have the uh, worship team come up here uh, and in just a few minutes we're gonna have the opportunity to partake in communion together but before we do that i just want to ask you a couple of questions questions that i've had to ask myself Questions that I've put a lot of thought into, and I hope that you'll do the same. The first question is this. Who is Jesus to you? Who are you telling people Jesus is? Right, where are the experiences in your life that you can point to and say, when I talk about Jesus as Savior, I, I felt his presence in this moment. I see his act of saving grace. I see the fulfillment of the promise of a Messiah in this moment in my life. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And the second question I think that we have to ask ourselves is, are we on board with his mission? His whole mission, not just the part that it pertains to us. Are we on board with his mission? Because you can't proclaim who Christ is and accept just a part of him. 
Christ came to die for your sins, and it is our mission to glorify him. It is our mission to tell people about him. Church, his mission becomes our mission. I think it's right that we end today's time together with communion. Because it is this reminder and symbol of the things that God has done in our lives is the physical representation of the mission of Jesus Christ. For any of you who profess faith in Jesus, the communion table is open to you. Let it be a reminder to you, a proclamation of who Jesus is and that we are on board with his mission. This was the moment that Jesus shared with his people before he went to Jerusalem to be beaten Each of us, it's so important that we have this moment to reflect, to remember the things and the ways that he's moved in our lives, to remember who he is to us, the mission that he has for the church and the mission that he has for us. When you've been served, please hold on to the elements and I'll come back up in a little bit and we'll partake of them together as the body of Christ. Let me pray. God, we are so, so thankful for your son. We're so thankful that you sent him with a mission, with a mission to bring us back into a right relationship with you. God, we just confess right now, sometimes we have proclaimed who Christ is, but we have not been on board with the mission of the church. So in this moment, as we celebrate uh, the things that you've done in our lives, God, we just ask you to to open our eyes, to convict us of the places that we're holding on to, the places that we haven't given over to you, Lord, we want to be on mission. We want to be about glorifying you. Saved people, saved people, God, and, and that is what we ask for.